This little light of mine. Welcome to This Little Light of Mine, the podcast where we explore what happens when you teach a child that they are not allowed to love. Here's your host, James Powell. Hello, and welcome to episode 13 of This Little Light of Mine. My name is James Powell, and I'm glad that you're able to join me for today's episode, Gospel Gaslighting. If you've been following along with us on Facebook and Instagram at My Light Shines Bright, you will know that all summer long we've been doing a deep dive on reclaiming and healing your inner child. Now, this work is not for the faint of heart, and personally, it's been a wildly emotional journey, and one that has helped to bring up lots of feelings that I've been fighting to keep below the surface for decades. I'm trying to be kind to myself as I see how challenging it is for me to feel some of these feelings and how I have a tendency to label some of these feelings as good and some as bad. And the rules that I create and tell myself on how I have to hide any of my fearful, angry, hurt, sad, or shameful feelings and keep them to myself. I've had several conversations over the summer months about the feeling of anger. Some people have reached out to say that if you focus on anger, or just focus on the pain, that's what you're going to get more of. Others reached out to say that we should focus on what we're thankful for instead of dragging up the past. And others, others have reached out to say, thank you for validating me. That happened to me too. Or, I thought I was the only one that had these dark feelings. Thank you for sharing yours and giving me the permission to share mine. I'm learning through personal experience and through cultural observation that so many of us are uncomfortable being uncomfortable. When we see pain, hurt, anger, or sadness, we either feel we have to avoid it, shut it down, or fix it. Do you ever notice when someone starts to cry and other people in the room scramble for the Kleenex? That's a form of invalidating the feeling. It's saying, stop crying, I'm uncomfortable. Don't let those feelings out. Culturally, the practice might be nice, but really, it's not kind. Our unexpressed feelings and emotions, they never die. They stay with us and they get carried around until we go back and feel them. This is where the phrase emotional baggage comes from. Our unexpressed emotions lead to more anger resentment, and eventually depression. Many of us feel it's easier to swallow and suppress our emotions versus taking the risk of being wounded by being vulnerable. And that's what this inner journey has been about for me over the past few months. I'm finding a new path forward, a path where I'm expressing some of the feelings for the very first time. Inner child work isn't an attack on parents, it's not about wallowing in self-pity either. Inner child work is the work of courageous gladiators who are fully stepping into the arena of their own lives. And while the work may be painful and sometimes downright ugly, I know I don't get it right all the time, I want to cheer on some of the gladiators who are also on this healing journey forward. Corey Calico, who's building bridges between the church and the LGBTQ community in Seattle, Washington. Tracy Morris, proudly pioneering a pathway to bring more love into our world in Provo, Utah. And the team at CAMH Foundation. 
you're doing amazing work engaging in a tough, raw, and powerful conversation around suicide, providing the support and reminding us that we are all deserving of help. Not suicide, not today. In today's episode, Gospel Gaslighting, I share where some of my emotional arrested development started. Gaslighting is a form of psychological manipulation in which a person or group covertly sows seeds of doubt in a target individual or group, often creating cognitive dissonance and other changes, including low self-esteem. In short, gaslighting is another's attempt to question your knowing, to question your truth. And with that, here's today's story episode, Gospel Gaslighting. The first lesson I remember growing up in an evangelical church was how very much I was loved by God. Even though I was a little boy, I was taught that God was looking down on me and lighting my path. He knew every hair on my head. He knew everything that was about to unfold in my life. And he loved me. And yet, back then, I was taught that God was a he. My parents would tell me the story about how I almost died before my second birthday. They found me blue in my crib, and they rushed me to the hospital and eventually discovered that I had some severe internal complications that required immediate surgery. They were terrified of losing me, but while in the hospital, during one of their most fear-filled times, they lovingly trusted God and prayerfully handed over my life. Thy will, not mine, be done. They prayed that if I wasn't meant to be their child, that they would accept that gut-wrenching decision. But that didn't happen. And God helped my little body through that difficult time. And in retelling that story, my mom plants a seed of hope and love deep inside of me as she repeatedly shared that God had a very special purpose for my life. I will never forget that message. And I will never forget how much I'm loved by God. The second lesson I remember learning was completely different. The second lesson was about sin. Sin is what separated me from God. Sin is bad. Sin is hurtful. Sin is disobeying my parents. Sin is talking back. Sin is taking things without asking. But what stands out in my mind the most was learning what the consequences of sin is. For those of you who went to church, who can remember Romans 6.23? For the wages of sin is death. I was taught that we were all born as sinners and that we are intrinsically evil. This terrified me and has never sat as truth inside my being. Why would a loving God create me and everyone else as intrinsically evil? But I was also taught that the back half of Romans 6.23 was my redemption. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I was told that Jesus had come to earth and died on the cross to remove my sins. If I accepted Jesus Christ into my heart, he would wash my heart as white as snow. I can still remember my grandma teaching me the song from the wordless songbook. My heart was black with sin until the Savior came in. His precious blood I know, 
has washed me white as snow. And in God's word I'm told, I'll walk the streets of gold. To grow in Christ every day, I read my Bible and pray. It was a simple song, but it packed a very powerful punch. I was afraid of having a black heart. I didn't want to go to hell. I didn't want to be separate from my friends and family. Inviting Jesus Christ into my heart was a must. What six-year-old would ever want to burn in hell, living next to monsters and hearing the gnashing of teeth, whatever that meant? Jesus, save me. I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal savior for the first time at around age six while up at a church summer retreat space called Muskoka Baptist Conference. This was one of the first times that I really felt like I had done something right. Everyone was extremely happy for me. My parents, my teachers, friends of my parents, everyone. I was part of a club and I felt loved. And even though I felt loved in that moment, I also knew that I had to remain vigilant because I was taught that we can also backslide and become separated from God by our sin. So my life's work is to do everything in my power to protect myself from the evil one whose job is to tempt me away from God. And like any six-year-old, I took on this life-saving mission very seriously. I was taught to believe. I was taught that I had been provided with the answers. My parents gave me the answers. My church gave me the answers. And because I had been given the answers, there was no need for asking questions, for doubt, or for reasoning. Why would you need to ask questions when the answers are right there in black and white? We were taught that our hearts, our minds, and our souls are so corrupted by sin that we cannot be trusted. Without God, we don't know the difference between right and wrong, good or evil. I was taught that my instinct, my conscience, my intuition, if not steeped in the Bible and in church teaching, was not of God. These thoughts, these impulses and ideas are what will drag me down a path towards hell. Amusing side note. As I started content for this episode, my mom reminded me of how excited I was as a new Christian. Apparently, I wrote out letters and wanted to put them in our neighbors' mailboxes that urged them to accept Jesus Christ as their own personal savior. This six-year-old evangelical child didn't want to see anyone I knew burning in hell. I didn't want my best friends and the people on my street to go to hell. And plus, my favorite Sunday school teacher would reward us with a new toy for memorizing Bible verses and for saving people for Christ. It was my first win-win-win. As I got older, my religious education deepened with Sunday school, church sermons, and youth group home Bible studies. Looking back, I can now see that much of my learning and Bible studies were more about learning to memorize, regurgitate, recite stories as fact, and opening up and sharing my beliefs as long as I remained within what I perceived as very tight guardrails. 
I had to reflect the image of a good Christian boy so that nobody could get the slightest sense of any of my inner turmoil. Like all good fundamentalists, I was taught that the Bible is infallible and the inerrant Word of God. It was God-breathed. God actually breathed the words that ended up on the pages. Everything was perfect, there were no mistakes, and that was that. I was taught to read it, memorize it, and weaponize it against anyone who may challenge the one true way to salvation and eternal life. This living Word of God was not a discussion. It was a constitutional document with only one way that it could be interpreted. And that one way? By the man standing behind the pulpit, of course. He was our arbiter of truth. He illuminated us with his depth of knowledge and connection to Christ. The Bible says it. The pastor preached it. I believe it. End of conversation. And that seemed to be okay for most people. And yet, so much didn't make sense to me. How did Noah get two of every single animal into the ark? I'd seen the size of our massive zoo and knew that everything wouldn't fit on a boat. And why would our loving God want to destroy everyone who lived on the planet at that time? Or why is it okay to believe in talking snakes and burning bushes when these things are clearly not real? Snakes can't actually talk. Those questions at a younger age were met with responses like, why do you need to question the word of God? This is where you need to have faith. Or the famous, God is a mystery. It's not for us to know or to understand. Along with the answers that were supplied, I was given some non-negotiable rules on how to live life. The first were the Ten Commandments. This was the obvious baseline for every Christian. Next came, love your neighbor as you love yourself. But we didn't really talk that much about the loving yourself part, because as you know, loving yourself, that's borderline sinful. And in fact, in many cases, self-care is frowned upon. And as I grew older, I started to see behind the curtain on this one a little bit more. We were supposed to love others but our Christian love, it came with some strings attached. And in terms of youth group, a 10 to 15 minute mini sermon at the end of every fun youth event. We would love others because we believed that we needed to save them. We would love them because it was our job to recruit them and bring them to Jesus. Next was 10% of your first fruits must be given back to the church. I can still remember sitting down with my dad as he calculated 10% of my pre-tax income from all of my part-time jobs and being forced to put that into the offering plate. Next up was you must be an active member in the church. Not attending or not participating meant that you were backsliding or saying no to God. Then we had, we must live in the world, but not be of the world. This meant that as Christians, we were called to higher standards and we needed to suffer for God. Being a Christian is about living a life of sacrifice on earth, but we will receive our rewards in heaven. But this divided our world into two. There were those of us who were Christians and then there was everyone else or what we called the secular world. And again, as I got older, 
I saw how this opened up a massive market for everything and anything Christian. We had Christian music, Christian books, Christian rock festivals, Christian vacation destination, toys, Christian camps, Christian schools, Christian theme parks, Christian counselors, Christian conferences. Life was good for the capitalist Christians. Next up, we must live our life in accordance to the Bible. The Bible is the literal, inerrant, and capable of being wrong, unchanging, yet living, truth of God. Then the topic of sex. Sex is a beautiful gift between a man and a woman after marriage. No ifs, ands, and definitely no buts. And finally, be vigilant. The evil one is doing everything in his power to steal you away. As I grew older, I quickly began to see that doubt or reasoning was swiftly branded as the devil's influence. Whenever we had any doubt, I was instructed to correct my thinking back to God's one true way. I was also taught that God had one true way, and that his way was either black or white. There was no messy middle, no shades of gray, and no room for interpretation. The mystery of God's word became more and more concerning as I grew older. The teachings around the unequal role of women and how they must submit to their husbands, how all other religious beliefs would lead people to hell, and by far the most concerning to me personally, were any of the verses that talked about the practice of homosexuality. But I knew I would never dare ask any questions about these topics. When it came to issues that fell outside of the church, this is where we all had to be hypervigilant because the true Christian church was under attack and the devil's primary way into the church could be through me. I began to see that I had to protect my soul from all outside influences. Everything outside of the church was evil. Playing cards, evil. Tattoos, evil. Long hair, mostly evil. Drinking, absolutely evil. The Simpsons, nope, evil. Ouija board, whoa, total demonic, opens the portal to hell. Swearing, evil. Even our house, we didn't have a swear jar, we had a shut up jar. Smoking, evil. Masturbation, instant damnation. Harry Potter, gateway to the devil, must be removed from all libraries. Divorce, evil. Unless it's someone in our family or in our church and then we know her situation and her story. So we don't really comment on that one, and we just skip over everything that Jesus says on this topic. Secular music, evil, this is how the devil recruits. Catholic people, uh, unfortunately, they're going to hell. Muslims, we don't even ask, evil. Movies rated AA or above, evil. Looking at porn, oh lord, hell, immediately. Sex before marriage, evil and it will damn the relationship. Getting pregnant out of wedlock? Shut the front door, evil. Lying, evil. Stealing, obviously evil. Homosexuality, monstrous, evil, disgusting. Any religion outside of Christianity? Evil, because our way is the one and only way to God. Other Christian denominations like United or Anglican? Um, this is where it was borderline, and so I'll give them a 
half evil-ish. I was taught that God sees everything and he knows my heart and he will know when and if I do anything sinful or evil. I was also taught that all sins are equal in the eyes of God. And as a kid, I remember feeling under constant surveillance. I always felt guilty and anxious and feeling like I was going to be caught at any moment. To this day, I have to actively work to reparent these thoughts. Does God know about the secrets I'm keeping from my parents, my church, my friends, my friends at school? Omissions aren't really lies, are they? Is God angry at me for this? I am a Christian, but did that prayer really take? Maybe I didn't do it right, and that's why I'm having these feelings. Do I need to pray that prayer again? Do I have the exact right words? Maybe I said something out of order. I think I did it wrong. I definitely did it wrong. I must be a sinner. Maybe I'm not saved. Can I get a do-over? I'm going to get in trouble if people know that I didn't do it right. My head would regularly spin with these frantic, guilty thoughts, and the intensity would amplify one Sunday every month. Communion Sunday. I hated Communion Sunday. Not only did it mean that the church service was extended, Communion Sunday was when everyone could actually see those worthy of God and those who were unclean. Communion Sunday was when I knew I could absolutely not screw anything up. This was the Sunday where things really counted. And if I didn't get things right, I was lying to God and calling God's judgment upon my life. Our church had a closed communion where we only welcome those deemed to be worthy before God. If we were holding back any sin or keeping anything from God, we were instructed not to take communion. In my mind, this was the opportunity for God, for my family, and for the entire church to pass judgment on me and to make sure I was staying on the path of righteousness. I remember reading 1 Corinthians 11, 27 to 30. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Each one must examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. If I didn't take communion, people would know there was something wrong with me. If I did take communion, God would know I was lying. I was convinced that my parents and my church were watching for me to not take communion so that they could intervene with my life, force me to talk, and then ship me off to reparative therapy deprogramming camp. I was also convinced that if I withheld anything from God, he was going to bring disease upon me. I had no way out. I could not mess this up. With sweaty palms, I would lean forward, place my elbows on my knees, and my head in my hands, and pray with all my might. Dear God, 
Take away my sinful feelings. Help me to never masturbate again, Lord, Father God. I promise to never, ever look at that stuff again. Above all else, please remove my evil same-sex thoughts. I will do anything to be normal, and I promise to try harder. I know that I'm a shameful sinner, and I'm not worth your forgiveness, but thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son to die on the cross to forgive me of these sins. I give everything over to you, God. Please forgive me for all my sins. I would drink the juice, eat the wafer, and wait for a few seconds. Then I would die inside. My disgusting, dirty feelings were still there. I was still broken. But I couldn't let anyone see my fear or my anxiety. Stuffing those feelings deep down inside of me, I forced myself to put on my perfect Christian smile and pretended that everything was good. I didn't realize the long-term damage I was doing to myself as I continued construction on a massive internal nuclear time bomb. As I anxiously waited on God's judgment for lying to him during communion, I needed some sort of reprieve. To help with the pressure, I would turn to food. Junk food became my first addiction. I would use my allowance, or even steal from my parents, to buy sour keys, chips, slurpees, pizza, hot dogs, McDonald's. Even writing these words now, I can feel my mouth begin to salivate as the dopamine starts to flow. These were my original drugs. And these were the things that helped soothe me. And they would tell me that everything was going to be okay. As I got older, I started the practice of secret eating, and when my parents and siblings would leave the house, I would order a party-sized pizza, and I would hide it under my bed. And night after night, I would eat a couple of slices in bed, I would masturbate, and then would cry while listening to adventures and odyssey stories, while time and time again, I tried to pray away my gay. Those prayers were never answered. But maybe God just didn't like the pizza. As you listen to today's episode, could you identify any examples of gaslighting in your life? Gaslighting is a relatively new term, but the action is as old as time. We see examples of gaslighting in relationships, at work, in our politics, and between races. Gaslighting is manipulating others to have them question their reality. Do any of these examples of gaslighting in relationships sound familiar to you? Calm down, you're being way too emotional. Or, so what, I'm late, get over it. Are we going out or not? Gaslighting at work is rampant and a form of abuse. Have you ever heard any of these? Keep your emotions out of it. We're here to improve the bottom line. Or, I'm focusing on solutions, why are you bringing up something from yesterday? And corporate values can also be a form of gaslighting. How many have experienced corporate or HR leaders claiming that they value collaboration, excellence, integrity, or balance, while creating systems, structures, and environments that are anything but? And examples of gaslighting in our political system are endless. 
politicians and candidates claim to take a stand for an issue and then behave in a completely counter way. You hear their words, but then you see their actions, but you end up questioning yourself and asking, am I misunderstanding something? But you're not. Our corporations and our political systems have created an industry around gaslighting. Of course, that's not what they call it. Instead, they use terms like public relations, crisis communication, reputational consultants. But generally, these roles are responsible for creating and spinning a plausible narrative that benefits whoever is paying their fee. Traveling around the world, I've seen how gaslighting varies from region to region and from culture to culture. Racial gaslighting is finally being brought to the surface through important movements like Black Lives Matter. Have you ever heard or maybe used phrases like, if you protested more peacefully, more people would listen? Or, are you sure it's a racial thing? Or what about, just get back to playing basketball? Why does everything have to be so political? Gaslighting is a power play and it's a tactic used to manipulate and control. It's much easier to gaslight than to open up and have a vulnerable conversation. Most who gaslight have an intense fear of being wounded and they try to hide this insecurity and lack of self-esteem through gaslighting, drowning people out through dogma or process or other more aggressive forms of control. Or sometimes victimization can be a form of gaslighting too. There's a big difference between being unsafe and just not wanting to be uncomfortable or not wanting to be in a situation where there's tension. In Canada, we saw a great example of this, this summer, when our government shut down or prorogued parliament because they were afraid of being wounded. They were so terrified of being vulnerable that they shut down our entire government in the middle of a pandemic. So what do we do about gaslighting? What's the solution? Do you have your pens and paper ready? Here's the solution. It's talking with each other. The antidote to gaslighting, it's vulnerability and intimacy. It's taking off your armor. It's going off script and having a heart-to-heart -heart conversation. It's radical transparency. It's mucky, it's messy, and it's emotional. Because guess what? We are emotional beings. Instead of teaching ourselves how to rein in our emotions, suppress our feelings, labeling our feelings as good versus bad, we have the opportunity to honor ourselves and each other by bringing our full and wonderfully messy selves into each and every situation. Now, just to be clear, I'm not saying bring all of your emotions all the time into every situation. We need to balance this with emotional intelligence and gauge how can I appropriately show my emotions and be human right now. In short, be a human, not a robot. A new author I'm exploring, Rachel Held Evans, in her book Inspired says, when you can't trust your own God-given conscience to tell you what's right, or your God-given mind to tell you what's true, you lose the capacity to engage the world in a meaningful, authentic way, and you become an easy target for authoritarian movements eager to exploit. And I think that beautifully wraps up my gaslighting experience in the church.
being told that my inner knowing, my being, my sexuality, my orientation, whatever you want to call it, was wrong or it was a choice, something that I could get rid of. I always knew that it wasn't, but I was taught to doubt myself. And so many other people are taught to doubt who they are, who God created them to be. Our emotions, our feelings, our conscience, our intuition, these are our gifts from God. They are what make us unique, and they are what we need to fully bring forward each, each and every one of us, if we're going to heal the world together. Bringing vulnerability and intimacy into churches, workplaces, politics, and relationships is the shift that can help us bring more love into our world. It's not an easy shift, but it's one that is so desperately needed. And speaking about the shift, next episode, I'm going to be joined by best-selling author, podcaster, and progressive pastor, Colby Martin. Colby is passionate about carving out a space within Christianity that includes a wholeheartedly affirming posture towards LGBT individuals, a broader acceptance of other spiritual practices and religious perspectives, an agreeableness towards science, and a commitment to always growing, transforming, and trusting that our best days are yet to come. Colby is one of the leading voices of the progressive Christian movement. He's made me cry with his vision for his church in his first book, Unclobber, rethinking the misuse of the Bible on homosexuality, and he's introduced me to the incredible voices of Brian McLaren and Glennon Doyle. Colby will be talking about his newly released book, The Shift, surviving and thriving after moving from conservative to progressive Christianity. And I want to give away a free copy of his book, The Shift, to a listener of this little light of mine. For your chance to win, all you need to do is subscribe, rate, and leave a review of this little light of mine on Apple Podcasts or on Instagram TV. Next episode, I'll choose one of the reviews and send you your very own copy of Colby's book, The Shift. And before we go, I've got one more surprise. I want to introduce you to Nancy Shadlock, CEO and founder of Centered Life Coaching and host of The Coming Out Chronicles. Nancy's work as a coming out coach caught my attention along with her upcoming retreat, appropriately called The Shift. Here's my spotlight with Nancy Shadlock. Nancy, it's really nice to meet you. Your profile immediately jumped out when I saw the words coming out coach. Are you able to introduce yourself and share a little bit about what a coming out coach does? Yeah, I'm a coach here in Calgary, Canada with my wife, Elena, and our two babies. What I like to call coming out coaching is is helping people get honest about what hasn't been congruent in their life and then helping them figure out what the path forward is that feels empowering. And then how can you share that with the world in a way that's true to who you are and not anyone else's idea of how you need to present yourself in the world. So just small, tiny things then, I guess. Yeah, just a little (laughs) shift here or there. (laughs) And so what kind of clients would you work with? Well, I've I've noticed that in the last year or so, I've had about 80% of my clients have been queer folks. Okay. 
there have been, you know, like lately there's been a, a few women that are in happy heterosexual marriages, but they're realizing they're bi. And so they want support in how do I like share that with the world, but mm. not totally disrupt my whole life. But I want to be congruent within myself. And so we're, we're figuring out that pathway of how do you share that in a way that feels authentic to who you are and presents yourself in a way that you feel proud for your kids to know that about yourself. They can then be inclusive in their life. It seems like that's a shift that we are going through in our world right now on so many different levels of people screaming out, fighting out, yelling out for congruency, mm -hmm. screaming, I want to be seen. I want to show all of myself. And yeah, that's really important work. I also really appreciate you and your approach with spirituality and sexuality. Those are not things that you have to choose one or mm -hmm. the other. I think so many of us with spiritual backgrounds or religious backgrounds have had to walk away. And I appreciate your approach on, let's talk about that. Let's get aligned, let's get centered. Thank you for, for bringing that forward. Yeah, to. you're welcome. The other thing that I saw that was very aligned with our next episode called The Shift. You have a retreat coming up. That's also called The Shift. What's that all about? Yeah, so it's a Zoom retreat so people can join from anywhere and nice. we'll, we'll meet together and we'll talk about like, yeah, what is not congruent in your life right now? What do you keep knocking up against that feels like frustrating and you're starting to notice like this isn't what I want to have in my life anymore? And then what is more true for you? What is more true about who you are, about how you're showing up in the world, what you have to offer? And then how can you share that in the world in a, in a powerful way? And so we'll go off and do little exercises on our own that I'll lead people through and come back and debrief them. And I'll coach different people as we go. I've even got a package that I'm sending out to everybody so that they have their own little retreat package of all the things that they'll need to do the exercises when we're together on the two and a half days. Nice. The way that you're setting that up and intention that you're putting behind to create that sounds really beautiful. And so when is it? It's happening October 1st to 3rd. How would people sign up if they're interested to find out more? The website is centered.ca. And then you can see on there, there's a tab for retreats. Very cool. And if they miss out on this one, is there going to be another one? Or is there a way to find out about future opportunities with you? Yeah, there's a link that I'll give you for the show notes. Okay. You can reach out to me on social. Perfect. So yeah, I will add that to the show notes. And I think that's one of the most fascinating parts about this journey is just meeting people like you. It always blows me away, the things and the messages and the profiles that just randomly or seemingly randomly cross our mm -hmm. paths and being able to reach out to people all over the world and find out we're not alone. And our power does come from sharing our stories and sharing authentically. The work that you're doing is really important. So thank you for helping bring more love into our world. You're welcome. I liked what you were saying before about gospel gaslighting and how it's caused us to stop listening internally to ourselves. And so I just wanted to mention too that I have a session called Discover Your Superpowers. Oh, cool. That I do with people and it helps them figure out it within your body, like biologically, I have a test that I can do that helps you know where in your body you have the strongest sense of your knowing. And so most of us, it's not actually in our head, which Christianity particularly tells us like, you got to think things through and have a wise decision. But a lot of us, it's in our gut. 
And so like when our sacral chakra knows the answer, but we often just dismiss it or people tell us to dismiss it, I can help people figure out where it is that they can hear their truest knowing, which is so exciting. I would love to do that myself. And it's funny that you say that in our episode that we just finished, sacral chakra, that would have been deemed evil, fear, get away. Um, She's a witch. It's so interesting, all of that programming that we we need to Mm -hmm. deconstruct and that there isn't anything to fear. And it's about getting to know ourselves. God created us for this. And how big is your God? Like, can your God work through a chakra? Can it work through a, a tarot card? There's a, there are all kinds of ways that God speaks to us, but we've narrowed it so small that there's so much fear outside of it. Like, there's so yeah. many ways that the divine is speaking to us if we're listening. Well, thank you so much for popping in. Really excited to follow along and to learn more about you and what you do. And hopefully we can collaborate on something in the future. Awesome. Too. Thank you so much for having me. I want to thank you again for being with us today. And before I go, I want to remind you, your story is important. Your thoughts are important. Your intuition is important. Your knowing is important. Your questions are important. And your doubting is important. Because what if, what if you're not wrong? You are designed with a powerful voice, no matter who you are. We need to hear what you have to say. We need to know what has been placed inside of you. You matter. You are needed. You are wanted. And most of all, you are loved. And there is nothing you can do, nothing that can change that. Thanks for listening to This Little Light of Mine. To learn more about our guests today and for links from our show, visit www.thislittlelightofmine.ca. If you enjoyed this episode or feel that it could bring love and acceptance into someone else's life, please like, rate, review, and share so that we can build our community and bring more love into the world for all people. Thank you for sharing your time and listening to our stories today. And we would love to hear your story too. Visit the Get Involved section of thislittlelightofmine.ca to share your voice. We love being in community with you and look forward to sharing more with you next time. Now go and let your light shine bright because you are loved. Let it shine. Let it shine.